Andy Stanley says, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when you have a problem that seems to have no solution? Your job, your marriage, or your life is stuck. You're miles away from ideal with no good options. What do you do? Now what? Now what? Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus went to his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then returned his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he came back and he prayed and found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus knows what it's like. He lost John the Baptist, Lazarus, but now he's here in the garden. Betrayed. People just don't get it. They don't get the weight of what's going on around them. Ask a simple request, right? Could you just stay awake and pray? Alone. Facing dire, unchangeable circumstances this deep sadness the word says sorrow but it's a weak word when Jesus says my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow that word sorrow there really means anguish anguish is what is what we experience when tragedy hits close to home it doesn't always have to be this for sure but it's like losing a loved one And the pain of sadness is so intense that you basically can't imagine ever coming out of it. Anybody here ever been there? You can't even get your mind around, how am I ever going to get out of this? 
And it could be from a foreclosure to unemployment to your children rebelling, your marriage falling apart, a diagnosis of health. Now what? Now what? I mean, you've heard me say this before. Looking down the road and all you see is more road. There's no exit. There's no rest stop. All you see is more road. The word tells us we're supposed to be joyful. We read it throughout Scripture. Is a trait of the fruit of the Spirit. But we see throughout Scripture from the prophets of old to Jesus that there are times joy is not the way you would describe them. Matter of fact, there's deep heaviness of darkness even, the shadows. According to data, as I was doing research this week, says actually it's not even what I was planning on preaching this week when I left here last Sunday. But as I began to study this thought, and I've preached on it before to some degree, and I read this stat that according to data from the Center of Disease Control, the United States suicide rate went up 33% from 1999 to 2017. 33% in 20 years. Let me say up front, there's a couple of things. One, you say, well, I usually, you don't usually see me sitting at a table. <laughs> I've got this here today to keep me from ranting and raving. <laughs> as some of you know me to do. <laughs> this is serious. Right. Many of you read where Jared Wilson, megachurch pastor in California, committed suicide the last few weeks. He's not the only pastor that's done that in the last year especially, but we see it throughout our from public safety to our veterans to, and we'll talk more about other specifics here in just a minute. But let me say this, I've done considerable research. And I know this, I am not qualified really to speak on this topic in, in many ways. I just want you to know that. So I don't, I'm not trying to get you to go, well, that guy's the expert on this. <laughs> I want to make sure you understand that. But I hope you hear my heart today of the seriousness I feel that's in this. And I've tried to do as much that maybe can help you as you leave today or even while you're sitting here. I do believe as the Church of Nazarene believes, we believe in divine healing. We pray for it. We lay hands on people. We anoint people. We believe that God can. But we also believe there's other ways that he uses also. Through science. We believe he gave those people insight into use that. 
So we believe in all that. So I want to make sure you understand that. And I realize there are, there are ditches on both sides, as Dr. Dan likes to say at times on a lot of other subjects, but especially on this particular thing. Either one would say, this ditch over here, you just got to get some medicine, and you got to, and if you're a baby boomer, use twice as much medicine, okay? <laughs> Seems like what baby boomers do. If one's good, two's better, whatever. <laughs> Why we think that, I don't know. To the other side of the ditch from the church side of it going, if you just had enough faith, if you just had enough faith, that's a ditch. It's somewhere in between. What I am convinced of is that probably every Sunday, I would guess, there are lonely people that walk into this room. And they may be with somebody. And they may sit close to you, but they're lonely. And although they may appreciate the coffee and the handshake and maybe a hug every now and then, what they're hoping for is hope. What they're hoping for as they walk in is there is a place, a koinonia. That's That's why it's critical for the church to continue to exist in neighborhoods. You can't just, online, you can't walk into that. It's the reason why it's important, and I know it's been said over and over, it is important that you're here. And I realize there's other things that you can do and you need to do, and I'm all for that, but I'm just saying there are people who need you to walk across the room and just say hi, know their name. The reason why we wear name tags is so maybe, just maybe somebody will call out somebody's name that hasn't been called out in a long time. There's more to this than just getting a name tag. If you, what I want you to, I want you to know, if you believe you need medical help, mental or prescription, even medical help or whatever that is, you need to go do that. But today I want to talk to you a little bit, if I can, about situational or circumstantial depression and anxiety. Have you ever got up where you just feel like you're in a fog? You seem like you operate in a fog. You operate well, you're a highly functioning fog person. (laughs) But you operate there. Sometimes it's periodically, you know, you just go through a season. And I think if we're all honest in here, we all go through some seasons where we just feel like, wow, okay, this is overwhelming to my soul. I've dealt with depression since I was in the seventh grade, off and on, for being bullied as a, my whole year of seventh grade to not wanting to live, to 24 years old, actually watching my oldest sister try to commit suicide and me literally picking her up and taking her to the hospital with my three, my nephew and two nieces hanging on to me. And I'm 18 years old, a senior in high school. And thinking, how could anyone ever reach a point where they want to take their own life? And then reach that at 24 years old, seconds away from taking my own life. 
My dad, from World War II, dealt with PTSD. We didn't call it back that back then. We just said, get over it. But we just did. He was a battlefield medic, zipped up hundreds, if not thousands, of body bags. But just go home and get over it. He was in a hospital for a year from his injuries when he got blown up. Just get over it. That used to be the way it was done, right? Just get over it. If we can heal the physical, then everything else will take care of itself, right? My dad had multiple nervous breakdowns, they called it back then. Until 1984, he almost died from depression, literally died from just wasting away. I've got it in my family. For whatever reason, I, I mean, I know what it's like at 24 years old to go home and put aluminum foil on every window and darken it. I was a functioning. I went to work at Texas Instruments, but as soon as I got off, I hid. And I could throw a lot of stats up on the screen today, and you, you would be underwhelmed because I don't think they really help that much, but there are some things sometimes I think that help us understand this a little better. One of them, as I looked at, was that we are the most depressed country in the world. Look around, there's reasons why. I mean, we have all this freedom. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of reasons behind it, but You begin to look at our stats, 5%, we're 5% of the world's population, but taking 80% of the prescription drugs, painkillers. Our culture is self-prescribing. Alcohol has become more prominent, and in any time I have been in ministry, by far. And you can read that, I looked it up, and I didn't go to church websites. I went to NBC and WebMD and all this. That's where all this is coming from. Americans are drinking more and they're drinking a lot more. Women especially. Women are drinking more like men now. Dr. Melissa Barbosa says, we tend to believe a person is managing alcohol well if they're not an alcoholic. The 9 in 10 U.S. adults who drink too much alcohol are not alcoholics, are alcohol dependent. They just drink way too much. According to a federal government study, nearly one in three adults is an excessive drinker. One in three adults. Food. I don't know about you, when I get depressed, I become very undisciplined. And one of the places I become undisciplined is in food. Anybody in here, you don't have to raise your hand, anybody here have that? When you, when you get a little down, you get a little in a funk. No, it's just, sometimes it's just a funk, okay, whatever that means. I don't, uh, but you kind of just, man, my, my go-to is food. Social media. I see what's going on in everybody else's world. Because my world kind of stinks. 
But then you get in there and you get more depressed because now you're comparing your world to somebody else's world. Not counting the fact that our brains were never designed to be on 24-7. They were never designed to be trying to get all this information continually coming at us and it's wearing us out. I tell you, when I get the most down, though, I think when I get the most down is when I believe that I don't really even see the purpose in all this. When I begin to look around and go, yeah, I see the purpose maybe in, you know, the economy's got to go like this, that's why that works, this and this and this, but I got to go to work because I got to pay my bills, okay, that's the purpose. But the real purpose, the greater purpose, and the greater purpose of my role inside of that, or my purpose in the greater purpose, what I meant to say, my, my role, my purpose inside the greater purpose, do I even have one? Could this world do better without me? Do I even have anything to offer? I remember my mom, right before she passed away her last few years, one of the things that she kept saying was, I just don't have a purpose, even though she health-wise, for her age at almost 90 years old, was great. But she struggled with, do I have a purpose? Do I have a purpose? When we lose our sense of purpose, we begin to lose hope. And when we begin to lose hope, folks, we're in trouble. One reason we are working so hard here at Renovation, and we have at least over the years, we've kind of taken, for whatever reason, we've kind of taken a time off, but even on the whole concept of uncommon, that I met with the group today, about 30 of us in there, is that the whole concept behind it is realizing God's purpose for your life. Even the mess. Even the mess God can redeem. Even the mess-ups and the mistakes and all the junk, God can redeem it. For some of you, there's been a battle over your life for so long. So long, you don't realize, I told you last week, if you don't believe in spiritual warfare, warfare does, that doesn't mean it's not happening. I'm glad I stuck around to see what the fight was all about. God had a purpose for me at 24 years old, not just being a college dropout, not just being an alcoholic or, or at least a heavy drinker, not just being a guy who had no direction and no purpose. No, that's not the purpose he had for me. He had a greater purpose. And I'm just glad I stuck around to see what that fight was all about. I still don't know all of it. But I don't want to miss out on it. I look around and I see people struggling Because suicide and mental health, and there is a legitimate mental health issue in our culture. There's no question about that. And we need to be addressing that. But I will say this. Some of us have things that we're, we're actually our own big, biggest enemy. And some of it. But when you look around in our culture, Simon Sinek talks about millennials. He said millennials are wonderful, idealistic Hardworking, smart kids 
who've just graduated school or in the entry-level jobs, when asked, how's it going, they say, I think I'm going to quit. And we're like, why? And they say, I'm not making an impact. To which I say, you've only been here eight months. <laughs> it's as if standing at, as if they're standing at the foot of a mountain and they know this abstract concept called impact that they want to have on the world, which is the summit. What they don't see is the mountain. I don't care if you go up the mountain quickly or slowly, but there's still a mountain. So what this young generation needs to learn is patience. That's some things that are really, that some things that really, really matter with like love or job fulfillment, joy, love of life, self-confidence, a skill set. Any of these, all of these things take time. Sometimes you can expedite pieces of it, but the overall journey is arduous and long and difficult. And if you don't ask for help and learn that skill set, you will fall off the mountain. Or the worst case scenario, we're seeing an increase in suicide rates in this generation. We're seeing an increase in accidental deaths due to drug overdose. We're seeing more and more kids drop out of school or take a leave of absence due to depression. Unheard of. This is really bad. I know this and even raising kids nowadays. You've got to be careful how you raise your kids. Jan and I were talking about it the other day. Our parents did not worry about us being fragile. Can I get an amen from some of you boomers in here? There was no fragileness, but they did not worry. If you were fragile, well, you're just going to break right in front of them. That's all they knew. Or you'd go somewhere, maybe take it outside and break. Uh, they didn't care. That's usually what my mom said. Just take it outside. Today, it's a concern. The last three years, the teen suicide in Arizona has jumped 25%. The most vulnerable in our culture, think about this, the most vulnerable in our culture of suicide are adolescent girls and middle-aged white men. The middle-aged white men are more successful. Seven out of ten suicides are white men. Predominantly middle age, my age. Adolescent girls, middle-aged white men. Not sure how that... Because I think what happens for many of us... Speaking from my age, is we thought we'd be further along. We would have thought we would accomplish more. I think for guys my age, and just briefly, and I hope to talk about this more sometime with men specifically. From low T, low testosterone. That sounds okay. You don't talk about that in church, but it is an issue in our culture. It is an epidemic in our culture, in my belief. Now, how we deal with that's a whole different thing. But young people. At 20, 25, 30 years old, I thought I'd be further along than this. And then if we're not careful, we allow the circumstances to, de- to start to define us. Identify us. 
So what do we do about this? Now what? Man, I wish I had weeks to talk about this. And who knows, I may, the Lord may. There are certain things you may not be able to change. That diagnosis you got, it's real. That husband or wife that just left you, they left you. That child is rebelling. They're rebelling. And you're scared to death that they're going to do something to themselves or someone else. It's real. You need to be honest about it. To find insight. Maybe you need to lean in to some folks who've been through it before. Maybe you need to be in a, a group, divorce recovery or celebrate recovery or something along that line. There's certain things you've got to go, okay, I've got to help do something about this. But then there's some other things I think many of us can do individually. Some things that have helped me along the way. I've told you this before. Guys my age. Somebody walked out of here and said, I don't like you calling me fat. Well, I didn't call you fat. I just said, we need to lose weight. You hear it however you want to hear it. <laughs> it's an issue. It's contributing to your health. It just is. You've got a lot of years ahead of you, baby. Come on now. Let's go. Some of us have got to deal with what our mental overload. We're putting way too much information in. Young people and older. And comparing ourselves to other people. Who probably is not living the life that they say they are. Just so you know. They probably are not. For some of you, one of the things that has helped me over the years is knowing my spiritual pathway, my sacred pathway, excuse me, and that is that I go in nature. I find ways. There's, there's something about being, accomplishing something, going out and hiking a mountain. Just me and God. And you can read into that. You say, well, a lot of other religions do that. Okay. Exercise. For some of you, it may just need, you need to accomplish something to get out of that. You may just need to get up in the morning and start making your bed. What? What? I've accomplished something before I even get out of the, before I start moving. You may need to go serve this Saturday. It serve your school. To give yourself away. I think it's very biblical. But for some of you, you need to get up every day and be in the Word. Actually, every one of you do. Even if you don't feel like it. 
start going, I'm going to build this foundation which nothing will shake. Be in prayer when you don't want to pray. Begin to build a foundation that just doesn't feel very concrete at this point. But begin to build that and build that and build that. And you go, well, I did that today and I did it yesterday. I didn't feel like it, but I, I'm not trying to be oversimplistic here today. Because some of you may need way more help than what I'm sharing with you. But some of you may need to do something that say, I am moving forward. I am walking out of this. I was, walk, I was watching Bear Grylls. Anybody know Bear Grylls? I was watching Bear Grylls go through this cave the other day, and he was trying to work, you know, he's eating things and all the stuff he does. <laughs> but then all of a sudden he saw a light. There's something about that. If you keep walking, you may not see it for a while, but all of a sudden the dawn comes in, you know, this sunrise in the morning, and out of darkness all of a sudden becomes this something because you kept walking. You kept moving. Because one of the things I have learned through my times and bouts of depression is do not seek darkness. Always seek light. Always. There's all kinds, again, depression. There just is. And some are just momentary. Some are almost, you get depressed over that. Anybody ever looked at that and go? If you're an Arkansas Razorback fan, you're depressed right now. <laughs> Jeff prayed for football a while ago. I'm not praying for that. I'm ready for it to be over, okay? <laughs> My point of saying that is there's sometimes you look at things and go, that affected me that much. Really? I went to bed kind of depressed. I went to bed. But you kind of go move on. Keep moving. Keep moving. Matter of fact, you know, if Arkansas won the national championship this year, somebody would win it next year. Somebody else would win it. It'd be over and you move on. No, no what, what about today, though? What am I going to do with today? Am I going to let yesterday, whatever happened yesterday, define today? But one of the things I love about what Jesus did And his example to all of us. And it's always the prayer of a consecrated heart. It's surrender. Always is. Jesus says, I anguish to the point of death. Anybody ever been there? Yes. But Father... Not my will. If this is my lot. One of the things I love about watching my mom and dad. And I know you say, well, how can you love that? Well, I, all I know is what I, how much I appreciate it. Whatever the correct term is. Of watching both my parents die. And I had time to. And sometimes we don't get that opportunity. I get it. And I hate that. But to watch them 
My dad had dealt with depression all those years, but he has skin cancer. And he's got this, it ends up being where his face is, by the, all the treatments, his face is all twisted up and he can't even talk and he can't speak. And he just, but one of the things I watched was, I, I've said this before, I watched my parents, both my parents, but I said this earlier about my dad. My dad taught me how to live, but one of the greatest things he ever taught me was how to die. He got sweeter. He got more precious. He took his circumstance that it was his lot and he loved his children and he cleaned things up if there were things to clean up in relationships and he just got sweeter. Surrender. Jesus, you look at Jesus, Jesus is not weak here. He's probably his strongest point. Oh, yeah, we can look at Jesus and go, yeah, he walked through the crowd. Everybody parted when they were trying to push him over the cliff at his hometown. And he just kind of walked through them. Everybody parted like John Wayne was walking through. And go, man, he's bad. He's bad. <laughs> but when he prayed that prayer, even as strong as he was on the cross, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. When he is in that garden, Because see, the reality is most of us in here, probably none of us or anybody in the world, percentage-wise, will ever get hung to a crucifix. That I can't relate to in that sense. Oh, but I can relate to the garden. Father, not my will. But your will be done. That's just sign them to come down as we close. I love what Dallas Willard says about surrender. He says, when we surrender our will to God, we no longer question who he says he is. We may not be able to do his will, but we're willing to will it. Anybody ever been there? I don't know how to do this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how I'm going to get there. But I'm willing to will it. In this condition, there is still much grumbling and complaining about our lives and about God. It's okay, guys. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's okay if you're still grumbling. Surrendering all our reasons why you can't. Here's a little hint. What if you don't make description about you? In other words, your shortcomings or I'd say even circumstances. But instead linger on the beauty of God and His kingdom and what He can do in you. Father, not my will, but your will. We've stayed with the term or name in renovation because we know in the middle of a renovation, it's always a mess. Our lives are a mess most of the time. 
if left to our own. They always are. We hope we're a station that's been posted in this world, a place of hope, a place place where people go, they're real, they're authentic, they're really messed up, but God is doing something in them that I can't explain. And for some reason, when I'm on that campus and when I'm with those people, there just seems to be some hope. There just seems to be some hope. I'm overwhelmed as a mom trying to raise these kids. I just need somebody. I just need some hope. I just hope we are found as that place. One of those places. Not the only one. But one of those places for our community. You may want to come today and pray. And we would love, I'd love to pray over you. If you want to come kneel, I'll... I'll Lay hands on you. We believe in that in the church of the Nazarene. And you won't have to confess anything to me, but it is a place to come and consecrate and lay your burdens down. But I just want to know, I don't know, I don't have to know what you're going through. I just know in the shadows and in the darkness, he is walking with you. And sometimes, matter of fact, As the old poem goes, he's carrying you. But the craziest thing is he uses people. He uses people like us to help you. Let me pray for us. Can you stand with me? We pray. Lord, we just come before you today thanking you. One, that you know how we feel. reality is we don't know how you felt in many ways to know that the whole whole plan was resting on your shoulders (laughs) but we know that your heart broke when John the Baptist was killed we know you wept we know the anguish we know you know what it's like to be betrayed you know we know you know what it's like to say this is my lot in life this is it but thank you for the example to say not my will but your will Lord we ask today as we continue to talk in this series Lord even just this day that there are things that we can really help ourselves to walk out of this fog to be in your word to be in prayer to be moving forward, continuing to take steps. There may be practical things that seem so simplistic from making our bed to painting a wall for someone that may help us move forward. And Lord, for those today who are suffering from mental health and need genuine medical help Lord and I I sure never want to to divert that help us to be discerning enough to know which is which and Lord to engage it and go after it to be everything you've called us to be Lord we thank you for this time Lord I pray around those who may come 
that this will be of help to them and to the kingdom in Jesus' name.